You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Hey everyone, welcome to church. It's great to be with you. Uh, my name's Andrew, uh, and I just want to pray this morning before I begin. Father, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for the words that you've given me today, and I, I just pray that they would challenge where you want them to challenge, that they would encourage where you want them to encourage, Lord, and uh, just help them to land where you want, Lord, and I just pray that you'd be in this, Lord, and I just thank you, Lord, that you're present with us, even though we are at distance, God, and I thank you that you live in us, and your presence is here, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. So uh, I want to talk to you today about one particular verse which I've heard quoted uh, in many different situations, uh, probably hundreds of times over my lifetime, and I've quoted it, and it's highly likely that you've quoted it as well. And it's a pretty famous uh, Bible verse, as Bible verses go, um, much like the verse from Jeremiah that Tom exposited the other week. I'm pretty confident that most of the times I've heard this, this verse, they've been quoted completely out of context. Uh, and, and probably the times I've used it have been, quote, you know, quote out of context. And it's been alluding to a meaning that I don't actually think is there. Um, much like Jeremiah, this verse has been taken, it's sort of taken on its own sort of tagline, sort of slogan-like role uh, in Christian circles. And it's kind of created and supported an idea which most of us seem to sub- subconsciously agree with, but it's not really biblically backed up. Um, I also think it's quite relevant at this time that we're going through where we've been challenged uh, about our meeting and how we meet and how we're going to do that. And So I think it's relevant to that as well. So the verse that I want to turn to is Matthew eighteen twenty, and it's this. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Honestly, I mean... How many times have we said this? How, how many times have we, have we quoted this scripture? You, you, yeah, two or three are gathered, he's with us. Praise the Lord. Uh, we can all agree this is truth. I mean, it sums it up pretty, you know, it seems pretty obvious. Um, he says that he lives in us, so when we meet up, he's there too, right? Great, you know, that's the truth. But is it true how we mean it when we quote it? Um, because I think that in most cases, what we're alluding to is that if we paired up in twos and threes, that it's like more likely that God's going to be there. Um, that maybe it's like less likely that Jesus was present with us when we were alone. But if we meet up, he's going to be there. Um, or maybe it's, you know, it's more powerful if we meet up. Um, that God's going to see us getting together and then he decides to be more present and he decides to answer more prayers. And I don't really know what kind of loose theological reasons we have for deciding on this, but um, there I don't I'm, I don't think there's that much thought gone into it. But there it is. We pluck it out and we use it all the time. And uh, and I've done this as well. Um, and I believe that most of the time that we quote this verse, it's with that similar like, kind of mindset. Um, I don't really think it's necessarily intentional, but I think that it's taken on some sort of slightly different meaning, um, which in trying to be encouraging could potentially be detrimental to our understanding of, of the presence of God in our lives. 
So I guess I was thinking about this myself and I was asking these questions for myself and, you know, why do we say this? What do we really think it means? But most importantly, the question is, what does it really mean and what is it about in its context? Uh, because one thing I'm learning quite quickly is that when we're reading and interpreting the Bible, context is key. So to hopefully get some clarity on this, uh, let's take a look at the context. And for that, we need to read a bit more uh, back into Matthew 18. So I just want to first highlight that at the very start of chapter 18 in verse 1, it says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus. So let's keep that in mind when we're reading on, that Jesus is talking to his disciples. Uh, we don't know if there was a larger group present, um, but he's predominantly communicating with his disciples. So we're going to jump down now to verse 15, and it reads this. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. And, and he's talking here about within the church. Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they do not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by a testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. And it's quite clear here that the context of this whole uh, paragraph is, is not general prayer and gathering, it's actually church discipline. So I just want to touch on this and, and, and summarise the first three verses. So verse 15, 16 and 17 introduce us to Jesus' teaching on church discipline. And this is a really understandable, usable model. And it's well explained and it's relevant to us today and it's gracious and it's careful and it's considerate. And Jesus says, if you see somebody slipping into sin, go and speak to them. Go and speak to them one to one. Don't make a big fuss. And hopefully they'll hear you. And uh, and he says, you'll win them over, which is really important. The purpose about this isn't to shame them, it's to win them back because you care about them. That's the purpose. You're worried about something and you want to go and engage them graciously one-to-one. -one. If they don't listen, he says, he goes on to say, take one or two. And notice that he uses that um, that phrase there and he uses a similar phrase in the next verses. Take one or two with you and approach it carefully again. Uh, take witnesses that care about you, that care about you both, some people who you trust, who've got some wisdom and that can help you. And if all of you can't persuade this person and they're adamant and they're in denial of their sin, then you should let them go. Uh, or maybe even, and this sounds pretty harsh, maybe even you should put them out of your fellowship. But if they're unrepentant and not even willing to acknowledge what's going on or willing to hear what you've got to say, then this might be the course of action you have to take. And this is what Jesus is telling the disciples. So then we have verse 18, 19 and 20. And this is where I think that we possibly get this wrong because these two sets of verses are not separate. They're linked. And the translators have clubbed them together for a reason. And you can see that in some of the language with, uh, with reference to two or three or one and two, that's you know part of the reason why they link together. 
They're not separate pieces of text. And the two or three gathered is, is a reference to Deuteron Deuteronomy 19.15, which is advising in what are essentially legal or court-like uh, matters. But it's saying that you should have witnesses to help establish what's going on, in the same way that we value witness testimony today. But what appears to have happened uh, in verses 18, 19 and 20 is that they seem to get used regularly on their own. Uh, and there's a disconnect from the context. And because of this, they've sort of taken on uh, their, these other meanings out of context. But all of them relate to the earlier verses about church discipline. They're not meant to be like tagline, throw out their verses about whatever we need them for or for whatever we want them to mean. And when we use them out of context, we're doing a disservice to the text uh, and we're missing what Jesus, that Jesus is actually like laying out some of the foundations of the church here. And he's spelling out to the disciples that he's going to empower them to lead and decide things with his authority. When two of, two of them get together and they decide things in his name, he'll be there in the midst of them, backing them up. And he's going to back them up with all the authority of heaven. And that's what this whole thing is about. When two or three of them get together and they have to bring discipline to someone who's in sin, Jesus is backing them up. And he explains this uh, probably quite clearly to them in those verses, but they can seem a bit confusing to us. I mean, firstly, what's all this binding and loosening stuff about? Um, this is a reference to the exercising of authority of the apostles in the church. And he's telling them that he's going to empower them with this authority in their decision making when it comes to these matters of church discipline, which are described in 15, 16 and 17. And this binding and loosened terminology comes from the Jewish tradition of the day amongst the Pharisees. And Jesus is using the language to tell them what he means. He's using that language, sorry, to tell them what he means. Um, they would likely have known immediately what he's talking about here because the Pharisees believed that they had divine authority uh, to declare what was forbidden and what was allowed. And that's essentially what the bind or loose meant. Jesus used this phrase to tell the disciples, what you decide in how to deal with these situations, I'll give it my stamp of authority. Basically, he's saying, I'm going to give you the real divine authority. And then we continue into verse 19 and 20, which starts with, again, so it's pointing back to what, we just, what he just spoke about. And Jesus is telling the disciples here again that if two or three of you agree and decide on these things when they come up, or if you ask for anything to be done, the Father's going to do it for you. His authority, heaven's authority. And then in verse 20, when you meet and you're gathered together, decide in this stuff, I'm with you, I'm in it, I'm in your midst, I'm supporting you. So I felt it's important to have like a quick look at what the whole portion of text is pointing to. Uh, particularly, as I said, that verse 20, for where two or three gather in my name, there am, am I with them. It's been twisted slightly to mean something else. I mean, I think we usually try to use it to sort of say, God is here because we're together, which is true. But what I think what that in, in, inadvertently does is it actually takes away from the truth that he's with us when we're not together. Uh, it makes it seem that he's going to be more present with us if we meet up. But I think that that's doing a disservice to the truth of his presence in our daily lives. 
And it's the same with the other verses. You know, there are great promises that God hears our prayers and that he answers prayer. Uh, one example is 1 Peter 3.12. But verse 18 and 19 in context are not referring to general prayer. These verses are not the same as those promises. Um, and the point I'm trying to make here is that we tend to extract these verses out of context. Uh, and then we use them as a promise that God's going to give us what we ask for when we decide on it together. And that he's more present when we're together. And it's quite clear from a lot of scripture that he wants us to get together. Um, that we should pray together and that, we, that he may move powerfully when we do. And what I don't want to do here is discourage us from meeting uh, in, in whatever capacity we can. Be that online or in twos or prayer walking, whichever way that is. He loves it. We're his body. Uh, wherever you are right now and wherever we meet, um, it's important for us. And, uh, and obviously we miss meeting and most especially miss worshipping together. As it says in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, we should meet to encourage and spur one another on. So it's important that we keep getting together. And and how encouraging was it to um, for, for, to have this week of prayer and fasting, to be able to connect with folk from all around the country and collectively see God and pray and worship him. So I don't want to discourage meeting. And I, I hope that's not what you take away from this. But coming back to this verse, Matthew 18, 20, as I said, I think that it can be encouraging. Uh, and even out of context, uh, it is true that when two or three of us are gathered, that Jesus is there. Um, but ultimately, I think that, quoting out of context, um, it, it, distra it detracts from its real purpose. And, you know, I probably don't have enough time to go into, you know, a, a full Bible study on what that church discipline looks like now. Um, I probably don't even know all the answers. Um, but I think that taking those verses out detracts from what that meaning is actually, what Jesus is actually talking about there. And I think it also detracts from something else that's actually really encouraging. And that is that he's with you now. This is the beautiful reality of life with Jesus. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your tongue that he is Lord, he says you're born again. Uh, that he comes and he makes his home in you. There's no barrier between us and God anymore. Jesus was crucified for our sins and in our place to take the punishment that we deserve. Uh, and he rose again so that we could he could act like a bridge between us and God. And this means that we don't have to go to a certain place or do certain things to get his attention. Uh, we can communicate with him and through him directly. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit, Ephesians 2.18. He is with you in your house when you're on your own. He's with you in lockdown. He's with you in isolation. He's with you when you're feeling down or when you're feeling up. Uh, do you know that you're a temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? That's 1 Corinthians 3.16. He's not living in a church building or in a temple. He lives in us. And the Spirit inhabits you. He lives in you. He's taken up residence. He occupies our hearts. We don't have to go out and meet up with somebody for God to be there or to turn up. We can do, but we need to understand that he's already, he was already with you before you left the house. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and in me.
where you are now, what you're doing, the Spirit of God, the creator of the universe is there. He's living in you, residing, inhabiting you. In your stuck in uh, COVID situation, he's there. In your difficult work situations, he's there. In our heartaches, he's there. And in our joy, he's there. And I just want to encourage you that especially in these times, I think that he's teaching us something. Uh, through our isolation and through these troubling, difficult times, he's teaching us, or maybe reteaching us, something that is super important, which is that our individual relationships with him are important. Um, our individual relationships with him are most important. I think that he's highlighting to us now it, it is a need to rely on him again, to put our full trust in him again, to cultivate our personal relationships with him individually so that we can be effective members of the body of Christ. Seeking his presence in our lives over our processes. Hebrews ten nineteen says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, and this means that basically that we can come before God because of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us, through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So yes, it is true that when two or three of us are gathered, Jesus is present and in the midst of us. But the important thing for us to take hold of today is that he says he's present with us when we're alone because his spirit lives in us. And if you're hearing this for the first time, um, I just want to pray that this truth sinks deep into your heart that you grasp on to the understanding uh, of God's life-given spirit in you uh, if you've committed your life to him. And for everyone else, I, I pray that, I pray now for a refreshing of our hearts this morning, of this truth in our hearts, that as we seek him, we would remember that it's not about doing certain things or going certain places uh, to experience his presence, but that the spirit of God who's set us free has made his home in us. Praise God. Thank you for joining me today, guys. Uh, bless you.